Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are in the week before Advent. And today's conversation is called, What Does Anything Teach Us About Everything? The question for you to get started with is, what was your favorite moment from Thanksgiving this year or any year? And this isn't a question just to have something to talk about. This is the reality that for many of us, family or Thanksgiving or holidays can be really painful. And for others, it can be filled with a lot of joy. So we hope that this question allows for some exploration for you. Enjoy. So we've been in this Reclaim series for 37 weeks in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to take a brief transition this week uh, from the Gospel of Luke to the book of Revelation. And everybody said, Amen. Anybody? the, The moans. I like the moans in this room. Anyone grow up in some good Southern Baptist churches where Revelation is the only book preached on? There we go. Yeah, but it was always Revelations somehow. It's like plural and... Things were happening, and Kurt Cameron was appearing, and there was just, oh, uh, may the Lord bless him and Amy Grant, I guess. I don't know. I'm just saying. So next week is Advent, uh, and then that leads to Christmas, and so there's this kind of in-between week right now uh, that we're going to talk about in a different way. So to think about what we're going to think about today, which is simply this idea that in anything is everything. That in any given moment is the opportunity to see that everything is available to us. What does that mean? Well, we're going to look at that in a few ways. We're going to talk about a tricycle because I have my beautiful Bella's tricycle up here. We're going to talk about ordinary time. We're going to talk about our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. How's that for a title? Uh, We're going to talk about anything has to do with everything. Then we're going to talk about this fabulous number, which is 0.0 to the 33rd degree, 66260-7015. And if you've been paying attention to the news, you know what I'm talking about, right? Huh? No, great. Uh, then we're talking about the Old Testament and this idea of here but not quite yet. And what does that mean for the past? What does that mean for the present? And then what does that mean for the future? And if we can do all of that, then we're going to take some stock of our own lives. Great. Sounds pretty simple. So, here we go. The tricycle, my friends. Behold. Uh, If you're a Richard Rohr fan, you've probably heard him talk about some things like this, which is very simple. Uh, There are two base wheels that hold up our life as people of faith. One of those base wheels is scripture and that the other is tradition. And the wheel in front is our actual experience. Now, for many of us who may have grown up Protestant, uh, or if you grew up Catholic, what they would say is that the wheel in front was actually different. For Protestants of the world, it was sola scriptura. Only the Bible gives you direction for life. Somehow the Bible will tell you all truths. But I would say this, I think that the Bible is completely true, yet some of the stories are real, right? So that's a little bit different. (laughs) And that might be really terrifying for some people, but I think that's what's going on because we don't know how to deal with mythology. We don't know how to deal with deeper truth because some of us have been so rooted in literalism that we haven't been able to take the Bible seriously. So the Bible in and of itself, just like tradition in and of itself, is not the point. 
The Bible and tradition should be pointing towards your experience in your encounter with the divine. Now, people will say, well, that's a slippery slope. What if, what if your experience is different than the pastor's experience? Praise God, right? <laughs> Praise God for that incredible diversity that there are 7.5 billion human beings on planet Earth and that each of us has a unique experience and that together in totality, we somehow tell a fuller picture of who God is. Not just the people who got MDivs. I'm sorry to all of you who share in my debt, right? <laughs> and these are like crazy words in the church, but I think these are much more true to the scriptures, much more true to tradition, is that they in and of themselves are not the point. They should be pointing towards your actual moments and your actual encounter. And one of the ways that that happens beautifully for me, uh, as I've explored a lot of other traditions, uh, not just my own beautiful evangelicalism that I grew up with, um, is that you realize how big the church is, right? So of the 2.6 billion people on planet Earth who call themselves Christian, uh, half of those people are Catholic. Another quarter of those people are Orthodox. A quarter of those people are Protestant. And about 7% of those people are evangelical. But if you grew up in the world I grew up in, in my 10,000-person megachurch in, in southern Denver in Colorado as a kid, the only people on planet Earth who were human beings were evangelicals, and we were certainly the only people going to heaven, right? And thank God that the narrative got bigger. And we find ourselves in different parts of the tradition. But for me, it's not just about bagging on that. I'm very thankful for much of the evangelicalism that I was taught. I'm thankful for the energy that evangelicalism brings. I'm thankful for the passion that are found in a lot of those rooms. I love evangelical music still, and I'm still slightly grossed out by it, right? <laughs> but there's something powerful when you got like 10,000 millennials just like hands so high, right? And genuinely proclaiming something. Um, and are there weaknesses to it? Sure. But one of the things I'm trying to reclaim in my life is I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I want to take the best parts of my tradition, and then where there are other components of tradition that I can pick up on, well, then I'll go find those. And one of the weaknesses of the evangelical church was a lot of what we did with Easter and a lot of what we did with Christmas. In the evangelical world, we are good at a few things. Lasers, fog machines, some really loud music, and some wonderfully tight pants, my friend, right? You don't always find those in good liturgical churches. And because of those combinations right there, a lot of times it, we, we love to get to Easter and we love to get to Christmas, but we had no idea what to do with Advent. And we had no idea what to do with Lent. We didn't want the anticipation. We didn't want any of the preparation. And we didn't want the waiting. Because evangelicalism is a reflection of the American culture. And the American culture, we're the most powerful people this world's ever seen, people. We wait on nothing, right? I swipe. And how things get sent to my door within two hours sometimes. And because of that, that has infiltrated the way that we approach and participate with God. And so the areas that I like to reclaim are what so much of the liturgical world has showed me and what orthodoxy teaches me, and particularly what people from other parts of the world teach me about God and how I approach my faith. And so one of the things I've had to reclaim is not only the scriptures, but how do I reclaim tradition? And this leads me to ordinary time. In the liturgical church, there is this calendar that goes year-round, and the calendar is a reminder of our faith. 
It is a reminder of our own journey. So the year begins with Advent, just like our own lives begin in gestation, so to speak, right? There is a process to be birthed here. You do not just wake up one day and have a baby. Thank God, by the way, right? Because if you had a baby, and I have, you need a little bit of time to prepare for what's coming. And this is true of Christmas. We need some time to take stock of our lives and to prepare for the Advent, for the coming of something new, of something to be born. Nothing happens immediately. We've used this idea in here a million times, but just the day that you decide to start working out, it will take you six months from thinking that until you'll actually start to doing it in some meaningful way. You'll buy a pair of running shoes, you'll sign up for the 5K, and you'll get the 24-hour membership at $24, which means it's cheap enough that you will never, ever go back, right? But then you begin to start some actions. You actually show up to the CrossFit gym or Pilates or whatever it may be. But then there's years later where you're actually a person who works out all the time, right? It takes a while to, to start some new habits in ourselves. But what we do is we live in a culture where we want things immediately, And so be grateful for the Advent season that's coming, but know that we're not quite there yet. We need to take some stock of our lives as we prepare for Christmas, particularly in a culture where we don't want to prepare with it being a little bit darker and a little bit quieter. What we want to prepare with is parties like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, now through the end of the year, I swear to Jesus, my calendar is full, right? That there are things going on. That kind of sounded like a bragging popular moment. Sorry, yeah. (laughs) I'm invited to so many parties, it's no big deal. That sounded like a real douche move. Okay, anyways, the point being that there's a lot of things going on, and many of you experience that as well. And if it's not going to certain events, we live in a culture where we fill our lives with Netflix or whatever it may be, and what happens when that Netflix show finishes that you just binged? You're searching for the next one, right? Which tells us something about the anxiety that we carry in our culture. We are not good at waiting. But the church calendar is inviting us into these moments of waiting and anticipation of we're not there yet. The child has not come. The angels have not proclaimed, right? And as we wait, as we figure it out in the anxiety and in the anticipation, right? In the unknown, in the change, that that's a good thing. And what we find is that it's in the waiting is where we find all these beautiful moments where anything can happen. And because anything can happen, then it opens us up to the reality that God could be in everything. And so we got to explore that in a, in a bunch of different ways. So we have a tricycle in the experience that we live in. There's this thing called ordinary time that we're in now as we look at the church calendar. So you go from Advent to Christmas, you go to Lent, you go to Easter, uh, then you go to Pentecost. And then after Pentecost is the longest period of the year and it's called ordinary time. How awful is that, right? (laughs) That's not what we love. I want like Instagram multiple filters. This is the best time of my life, my friends, right? But ordinary time is saying, how do I actually go and practice this thing? How do I live out the revelations of what I just experienced? And so actually this Sunday is the last week in the liturgical calendar. And this Sunday is called Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. How's that for audacious, right? And it's powerful when you actually look at the passages that are provided for us in liturgical calendar. And I don't always practice a liturgical calendar, but there are moments that I I, I come across it and I spend some time in it that I'm incredibly grateful. I'm grateful for this reality, that 75% right, of other human beings who are practicing this faith in this way are going to be reading the same passages that we're going to read today. 
There's something very powerful and uniting about that fact. And we're all going to approach it from our own unique context and our own unique experiences. And somehow we're going to make sense of it. And we're going to combine tradition and scriptures and these powerful things uh, that help shape us into our own unique experience. And part of that is thank God that the wisdom and truth of the universe is not just relegated to my life. What a small universe that would be. Thank God that there have been other human beings who have come before me and that they have handed us these beautiful scriptures, right, that are in travail and in process. And they represent the human journey of two steps forward and one step back and sometimes three steps forward and five steps back. Thank goodness for scriptures that are honest with us like that. Thank goodness for a tradition of faith in which people have never completely figured it out but that we keep being faithful to the journey so that we can pass it on to others so that all of us can experience the best humanity possible. So in this final Sunday of ordinary time, as we explore this idea of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe, I want you to think about this, that the church at its best is not exclusive, it's inclusive. A title like this has probably been used for many years right, to create a level of exclusivity uh, about who God is. But at its best, the church recognizes this is an incredibly inclusive statement. And if you've been around for the Luke series, you know this, that the title of Lord was not a title that was originally given to Jesus. It was a title that was originally given to Caesar 40 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. And so the early church and the early faith community and the scriptures and tradition call Jesus Lord for a very important reason is because that wisdom and truth knows this reality that there will be something that is Lord in your life. But every other thing that you call Lord in your life will take your life away and will take your identity in a different way. Name a thing and it takes identity from us. But the reality of Jesus at Jesus' best is that when we lose our lives to Christ, we actually become a fuller expression of who we are. In the exclusive forms of it, there are women in this room. There are people in the queer community in this room. There are people of color in this room who they've experienced the good news in the Christian narrative as something that's taking something from you. That's telling you that you are less than. That is telling you that you are not fully human. But in the best form of it, it is saying, no, 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 it is your difference. It is your diversity. It is your experience that most proclaims the totality of Jesus being Lord. And there's a reason that that's our Lord, not my Lord, not the evangelicals Lord, not the Catholics Lord, not anybody's, it's everybody's. And then it moves past those titles to the universe, to this reality that even our scriptures and our traditions weren't anticipating Google Tesla, that there's a crazy mofo like Elon Musk who's trying to get us to Mars. Come on, right? That should get you excited. That the universe is literally expanding out at 70,000 kilometers an hour. It's getting bigger than any of us can imagine and it's only going faster. What do you do with that? And because of that reality that there's a universe that none of us could put our minds around and yet somehow Jesus and our experience and the totality of what it means to be human all fits together. So with a little bit of that, Let's read Revelation 1. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the rulers of the king of the earth. Here's what you got to do when you read a book like Revelation. First of all, throw out your left behind books. Second, <laughs> every 
book of the New Testament was chosen for two purposes. One, chosen. That is not a word. I speak professionally for a living. Not always well. Chosen for a reason. The first was primary. Was the writer, did, did the writer have an experience with the risen Christ? That's how the early church thought about it. So, and here's a really important part. Did the writer have an experience with the, with the risen Christ, not Jesus? That is a whole lot of other things to impact, and we'll get to that at another point, right? Um, and part of that was they want to know, did they have firsthand experience, right? Because that's telling us as people of faith something later. Go have your own firsthand experience. You're not trying to, I hate when people are like, we got to be like the early church. That's weird. That's very weird. No, we got to be like the best church in Los Angeles in 2018, right? Um, and so the, the other thing that I wanted to proclaim was what does it say about who Jesus is as the Christ? Because Christ was this universal concept and idea um, that the early church was playing with that brings us all into the reality of this narrative of what God is trying to do. If we just had a story about Jesus, then here's what would happen because it happens in every other group. Everyone would just want to keep coming back and finding out where the founder was, right? Everyone would just want to keep coming back to Jerusalem and try to be Jewish, and that happened all throughout the early church. And so the reason that Paul and all the other writers of the New Testament try to move us beyond the rabbi of Jesus is because there was this idea that this thing has to travel outside of Jerusalem, right? And why that story is important is because all of us have also grown up with that narrative. I heard a certain kind of Jesus and a certain kind of story and a certain kind of family and a certain kind of church in the place that I grew up. And guess what? You don't live there anymore. You have bigger ideas than that now. You went to college, right? And that's a good thing. And it's the same story of the New Testament. This idea of Jesus was great, but now we got to expand the thing so that it fits for all people at all times. That's what's going on here. So when you see this language of who Jesus is as the firstborn of the dead, ruler of all kings, it's just trying to give you a universal concept of who Jesus was. Now we would say, and the ruler of all Fortune 500 CEOs and the head of the United Nations and the leader of NATO or whatever, right? The point is that Jesus is claiming totality over the universe. And that's not an exclusive statement. That's a welcoming, inclusive statement for all people. Because this good news and this Lord is not trying to kill you, right? And that's what Caesar was doing. Caesar wanted you to believe in the myth of the Roman Empire, which was if you're a citizen of the Roman Empire, your life is fine. But on the edges of the empire, we're killing everybody. And the church has been at its worst when it does that. When the people sitting within the four walls are fine and we've excluded and named everyone else evil, heathen, or going to hell on the outside of the walls, right? These are the narratives that we're trying to escape from. And this is why this language is used. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And we say this in here all the time. If father language doesn't work for you, use mother, use parent, use something else. This is just human beings trying to describe that God's something more than us, right? And so I understand that the patriarchy could be very... Um, demoralizing or hurtful or painful for some people in here. So if it is, change it. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So it shall be, amen. I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, who was and who, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The rest of the book of Revelation is trying to tell this much larger narrative of who Jesus is. In Revelation 4 and 5, when you get there, there's this story 
about there's 10,000 by 10,000 angels who are surrounding this throne room of God. And they're all crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And who's gonna be the one to open these scrolls? All this symbolic language, blah, 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 not that important. What is important is this, is they keep looking for this lion to come and open the thing. And then it says, and then I saw the human one come. And who opens it was this slaughtered lamb. That's who had the authority to open these things. And then those 10,000 by 10,000 angels angels started singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is is to come about the lamb. It's all trying to change the narrative for us about how we understand God. Not as this dominating figure who's just angry with you and needs to kill his own son so he feels better about himself. That's sadistic. Rather a story That's about that God loves us so much that God didn't come to change God's mind about you, that God came to change our minds about God, right? And so that God would always want to be with us is where we start in the Advent season, is that God is coming into the world as a human being. God's not avoiding the world. All that language out there that told you how horrible the world was and how horrible and evil the world is, if it was so horrible and evil, then why does God come into it? And why is the final picture of Revelation 21 and 22 this? That I saw a new heaven and a new earth and God was coming to us. There's never any language in there about us going to God. Isn't that interesting? There's this endless story about a God who wants to be with us and to be a part of the human experience. Because if this God went through 13.8 billion years of creation and is just mad in the last couple thousand years, that's weird, (laughs) right? Just busy creating out there. Talking snake gets you every time, right? No, and that's what I'm saying. We need some mythology in there. Everything about the Bible is true and some of the stories are real, right? Because if we take it all literally, then we can't take it seriously and we can't have this bigger narrative and conversation about what God is doing. So with that said, let's talk about Planck's constant. Planck's constant is a number, which is the 0.000, whatever the 33rd degree, 6626070015, if you were wondering. And it is one of the new constants about how we measure all things in the universe. Other things that we use to measure, uh, we use the meter, We use the second, we use the mole, we use the Kelvin, and we use two other words, which I can't remember right now, which are bigger than my vocabulary. Um, But these are things that we find in the natural universe or things that science has used and and they compare it to something in creation so that we have a constant. So the kilogram was one of the other other measurements that was used for the last hundred years about how we weigh certain things in the universe. Last week uh, in Versailles, the General Council of Weights and Measurements, which everybody got excited about, right? Yeah. They met together to have a conversation about the kilogram. You thought you were having a bad Thanksgiving break, right? (laughs) So they get together because they were wondering what we've all been wondering, what do we do with the actual kilogram, which is a shiny piece of platinum metal which hides in a bank in Paris that only has come out three times because we don't want anybody touching the actual kilogram. Because a king somewhere a hundred few years ago, right, created this kilogram and said, now this is the standard weight. Just like when they created the meter, they said, we know how we'll create the meter. It will be from the distance from Paris to the North Pole, and it'll be one ten millionth of that journey. Duh, right? (laughs) So, yeah, white men, am I right? (laughs) Audacity. So, the kilogram was created in the same way. Some white dude, it's just like white kings, you know what I'm saying? They're like, how far shall a foot be? I know, right? (laughs) You know they added a few inches on that one. Uh, 
I'm just saying. It was the king. My hands aren't small, they're the biggest hands. I'm just saying. My nuclear button is definitely bigger than his nuclear button. Um, okay. I really got sidetracked there on inches. Um, if you're listening to this, Sean, make sure you put explicit on the podcast. Thank you. So there's a standard measurement that's out there, but the real thing about that actual platinum uh, like cylinder that we have is it's actually been losing weight. It's lost weight over a couple hundred years when we measure it, right, by one, uh, it's the size of a, a salt grain. That's all that it is. But literally that standard weight is what measures everything else in the universe. It's how we measure things to go to Mars. So if, or it's how we measure things that go in your medicine and the pills that you take. So off by a salt grain is massive in the world of science. So scientists, who've got a lot of other things to do with their time apparently, started asking themselves this question, then what do we measure it against? And so they said, we're gonna to start to measure it against electromagnetic field and gravitation. And that's how we get Planck's constant. What does that mean beyond that? I don't know, I'm a pastor, go read it yourself. Yeah. What it means is this, is that they said, some king a couple hundred years ago told us what a kilogram weighs, but we're gonna go find as an actual constant in the universe that never changes. And that's how we're actually gonna measure this thing as we move forward. And there was this beautiful line by the scientist as he's giving this narrative of why. And one of his reasons is, is because that actual platinum cylinder that weighs an exact kilogram, or a grain less now, um, is inaccessible by the rest of public. And he says, if this is really a constant of the universe, then everybody should have access to it. Talk about some good news, am I right? <laughs> and so that's where Planck's constants come from, to measure this. And that's what I believe about this inclusivity of God as we declaim, as we proclaim who Jesus is as our Lord. If it's not accessible to every single human being, if it's not a narrative which is not already innate within us, um, then we gotta throw the thing out because we've been told a story of bad news too long. And what we need to reclaim is this universal narrative that each and every one of us are the sons and daughters of God that each and every one of us are loved by this God and that God actually enjoys us and that God is not coming on a project to save everything because he's angry with it. God's coming on a project to reverse our amnesia to remind us of who we've always been. It's all there in the scriptures, right? It's a matter of which lenses we want to put on to read them. It's all there within our tradition. It's a matter of which lenses that we want to put on to approach who this universal Lord could be. Is this an exclusive statement or is this a universal statement? And I believe this, that if we believe it's an inclusive statement, this would dramatically change the way that we actually live our lives. That it will dramatically change the way that we're gonna experience Advent and Christmas. That something much more beautiful could be birthed within us if we believe that God has access to everything. And if we have to stop compartmentalizing and dividing off the world. Because I did that for too long in my life. These were the holy parts, and then these were the unholy parts. These are the parts that worked, and these are the parts that didn't work. And what science, and what faith, and what the scriptures, and what tradition are saying is this Lord claims it all, not just a few pieces. So one of the things that we do every year as we prepare for Advent is we take stock of our lives. We take stock of the past. We take stock of the present so that we can take stock of what we want the future to be. Some of the work that we have to do is we have to reclaim some of the past on our own lives. Some of us still beat ourselves up for the past instead of just saying, this is what is. I don't say that lightly because for some of us, what is are things that we didn't choose for ourselves, right? What is were things that were, were painfully put upon us. 
So the work of the scriptures, the work really of the entire Old Testament as it builds up towards the advent of this coming Christ is this work of reminding us that God is with us. And we don't have time for it today, but most all of the passages in the Old Testament is this narrative of God coming to us, right? That God creates and then God invites us into this creation. That even the narrative of garden, which is not about a literal snake talking, it's not about a literal people eating fruit, but it's about this, this reality that there's real pain, brokenness, and problem in the world. That's what it's trying to name. And we can't escape that thing. But the first thing that happens even in that narrative is a God who comes into the garden and says, where are you? Right? It's about a God who shows up. The story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the matriarchs, right? The story of the Exodus is all about God showing up. And it always does it in an imperfect way. It says that the Israelites waited for 400 years. Again, not to take it literally, but to say this, how many of us have felt like we waited and waited and waited for God? And the Bible is filled with these kind of narratives of an imperfect process where we're not here yet, but God keeps showing up. That's the important thing. That's what we prepare ourselves for as we prepare for Christmas. That's a constant of the universe is that God keeps showing up. And so as we prepare ourselves for Advent, I want each of us in this room to prepare ourselves for taking stock of our past. If you've been around here before, if you know my narrative, one of the things I'm taking stock of lately is my incapacity to be vulnerable. I'm great at self-disclosing. I'm great at telling you stories. If you've been here, I'll tell you some of those narratives that I I think are important so that other people can self-disclose their own pain. I would tell you about the really big pain and trauma of my life of 10 years ago, sitting on a corner in Glendora with my wife after I had had multiple affairs, thinking that everything was over. And I can tell you a moment where she looked in my face and said, I love you, and I'm still willing to do this if you are, was a moment of God showing up. I could tell you the different and unique sound of each of my children when they were born, the cry and their first breath. And it was a realization of magnitude and creativity and awe and mystery when you hear your own child take their first breath in the world. It was a reminder that God showed up. And the more that I've held on to the worst of my pains and the greatest of triumphs that I've experienced, I know that God can show up in anything. And if God can show up in anything, and if Jesus is really Lord of the entire universe, then God can show up in everything. Then God shows up in the mundane, in the waiting, even in the moments in which we all do when we're waiting at the store and none of us can wait more than four seconds without pulling our phone out, right? Even in those moments, in our anxious culture, what if God was there too? What if even in the moments when I'm trying to numb and move through my life and the Netflix show did get finished and I can't wait to get to the next one? You pick your thing that you do, we all numb in some way. That what if this season was filled with, I can name the places that God showed up back there. So what if even in the mundane here, if God could show up in any of those moments, what if God could show up in every of these moments? And that's the inclusive reality that I want to open myself up to. I'm going to show you two pictures of how God's been showing up. First one is of my kids. Uh, they were coloring out on, the, uh, on our sidewalk the other day. And these are the moments as this season of my life, I'm spinning too many plates and I'm sitting here and I find myself most of the time thinking about the work that I have to do next. Until I have that moment where Bella looks up at me 
And if God can be in anything, then God could be in everything. And where I stop and I set down the phone of my mind, so to speak, and I can be present in this moment. And when I'm present in this moment, it prepares me for the advent of something new that could be birthed. Or this glorious moment that took place on Friday. Oh, that's me. <laughs> I got about 200 sparklers in my hand. Uh, I've probably been overserved at that point. I don't know when the last time you had a pastor who told you that. And I had a, a cigar in my mouth. And I really love this picture that someone took because I was having such a great time that night. Asaprel celebrating one of my best friend's weddings, right? We were, we were sending them off. And it was this moment where I was just alive. And if God could be present here, then I could be present in everything. And this is what I hope that we prepare ourselves for. And the reason that our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe, is the final week of ordinary time uh, is because it prepares us for the future and for what's coming. And so take stock of your life in this season as you prepare for Advent and as Advent prepares you for the coming of something new. Would you be prepared to remind yourself that God has showed up in the past? How is God showing up at the present? And if God could show up in any of those moments, then what are all of the moments that God could show up to in your future? Don't let Christmas just come at you. Don't let Advent just happen. Let something new be birthed in you this year as you take stock of your very real life and trust that there is nothing off limits within you. And there is nothing off limits in this universe that God cannot claim and is not already claiming. And I finish with this, one of my favorite stories from the rabbis that when Moses saw the burning bush, it wasn't that the bush just started burning, it's that the bush was always burning and that Moses finally had eyes to see it. Would you answer this question with one another? Where has God been constant in your past and present and where do you hope to see God in your future? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.